0: good morning good afternoon good night my dears welcome to the worldwide podcast and wow i'm really amazed i i mean before uh recording this episode and i just w- don't want to give you guys a spoiler i just want to ask how's guillermo how's it going bro
1: okay no spoiler <laughs> no yet. no spoiler
0: not saying which episode is it <laughs> 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 i mean you guys already know because you're here <laughs> listen to it the title
1: but now you'll know the second time yeah um, exactly <laughs> I'm good, guys. I'm good. I'm so excited about this episode. One, because it will be a very unusual for us. Because even though it's not a country, it still is something that's important to the world. It's a continent that belongs to a lot of countries, in a way. And I was thinking, I wanted to do something about this episode. And I was like, I could try to contact the 11 people that were born there. That they probably don't even is know it what Antarctica is because they were just born in the base camp. Yeah, really? they were just born there and then they went back to their countries, most probably. Okay. So I was like, okay, I want, I want someone who has done something very interesting and peculiar and really, really dope to the world. Um, so and represent. I was
0: represented the continent at the same time, you know.
1: Exactly, and that yeah. has been in the continent as in as seen how it actually looks like, and been there. And I was a little bit addicted to these cave diving stories. And I came across our guest, Jill Heiner. How are you doing, Jill? Are you good? Great.
2: Thank you. It's good to join you. Yeah,
1: <laughs> of course. And um, and he, as I had told you, even in our previous call, I, I've been so addicted to these cave diving stories. And it made me fascinated, but also terrified. Like, I don't know if I had willpower and courage to do what you do. But I'm fascinated by it, so really? I'm so excited to talk yeah. about it for sure. Just well, giving a
0: spoiler of it, i really, i just scare me off. Really, just watching your TED talks and also the video Guillermo has shared with me, I was just like, you know, come on, I could, I could never do this. Wow.
2: Well, you guys are smart. If you're scared, <laughs> if you're claustrophobic, <laughs> if it makes you a little uncomfortable, that's probably good. It means you, you know, understand risk. <laughs>
1: 100 percent and um and yeah um to discuss now about antarctica and your expedition that i've i i know that you've talked countless times countless times but there's still like to discuss more about the antarctica part part of it how it was being there you know expectations reality all of that um it's going to be very interesting I, i would think so actually starting off before you even reached antarctica The expectations that you had and the reality that was there, how was all of that for you?
2: Oh, wow. Uh, Totally different (laughs) than what I expected. So just as a bit of a backstory, uh, Mm -hmm. it was more than 20 years ago when I went to Antarctica for the first time. And I went with the intention to be the first person to cave dive inside an iceberg in Antarctica. So I start doing all kinds of research. And I was already like... I, I had already read a lot of books on Shackleton and Mawson and Scott and all these great explorers. And yet when you're doing something that nobody's ever done before, there's not really like a handbook <laughs> or a map. Chart <laughs> territories. Matter. Yes.
1: <laughs> yeah. Chart <to> territories. Absolutely.
2: <laughs> yeah. And and the journey to get there is um, enough of an adventure on its own. Cause I left from New Zealand. Well, I left from Canada. I went to New Zealand and then did a 12 day crossing over the Southern ocean Um, And so it really gives you a sense of how far away, how remote you are, and just how wild and untouched that environment is.
1: No, I can imagine. And um, have you had been to the Arctic before or this was your Mm -hmm. first? Okay. So how different is that, right? Because the Arctic, by what I've seen, has a lot of wildlife and more diversity, I would imagine, and more natives. And then the Arctic is like polar opposites almost yeah yeah speak from experience
2: polar opposite is a good, a
1: good way <laughs> Quite to <literally>. yeah. <laughs> location wise
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah so I am from Canada born in Canada and so the Canadian Arctic is vast it's the majority yeah. of our country actually and um, it, it's totally different than Antarctica because there is an indigenous population that uh, you know lives and still lives in connection with the land and small communities and um, and yet like the frozen sea ice sits on top of the ocean in the arctic so it's a different kind of environment than antarctica where there's a big landscape beneath the uh beneath all the snow and ice like 2 miles thick and more of of ice in antarctica so it's a really different environment um the animals are completely different and then of course when you go to antarctica and there's no no, people, oh, <laughs> other <yeah>. than <laughs> scientific faces, it's, it's different. Yeah, yeah.
1: For me, the craziest thing are the polar bears, because I always, you know, in mm. my mind, I always thought like the Antarctica Bro. was home for the polar bears and it's only the Arctic. Yeah, like, right. There's only yeah. penguins in Antarctica. Only penguins Seals, yeah, yeah. It's very true. Um, yeah. Underwater creatures. <laughs> there's a ton of them. I can imagine. But mm-hmm. let's say. Mm-hmm terrain animals the ice yeah yeah penguins yeah. yeah. <laughs> and seals basically yeah. yeah
2: yeah interestingly like in the arctic i was um the first woman to jump into the water with wild polar bears to film them for a documentary <laughs> and that's one of the craziest things i've ever done but it felt kind of like when i was jumping in the water with leopard seals in antarctica but um, despite the fact that those leopard seals can be you know as big as a small van <laughs> um, yeah, still a lot more at risk in the Arctic it, with the polar bears. Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I mean, polar bears are probably the most dangerous animal because they're very yeah. territorial and they attack. I have these Norwegian friends. They they made a trip to to Svalbard and mm-hmm. there's crazy regulations with polar bears. Like you have to walk mm-hmm. with a with a rifle. All the yep. cars. This was the craziest fact For that you? Told me. The, it's illegal to lock the car doors because if someone is being being chased by a polar bear they need to be able to lock themselves in the car that was like yeah. so interesting and yeah, yeah. He, he told me like if you see a polar bear it means that you have to straight away run don't try to intimidate him like people do in the u.s with uh grizzly bears that doesn't work <laughs> you just have to yeah. run
2: <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, we have 24-7 bear guards in the north. Like, everybody carries a rifle. Not that you ever want to shoot a bear, but... But you've got to be ready to scare them off. So we'll you know, mm -hmm. run at them with a snowmobile, you sound firecrackers, things like that. Um, but you know, when I went to Antarctica the first time, I was warned about um both the leopard seals and the orcas, and um I was told that I should bring what's called a power head, so it's like a like a spear gun pole that has a cartridge that holds a bullet on the end of it, and if something was so close to you that you're being attacked, then you can jam it against the flesh of the, of the leopard seal to to shoot it basically. Have you ever and used this? No. Yeah. Well, the funny thing is we took them with us, okay. but I just thought, you know what, if I'm leopard seal bait, it is what it is because the other <laughs> risk is like, what are you going to do with that? Like stuff it 100%. in a pocket? What if you accidentally like bump into something and deploy it?
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that, so that you i've know, heard I'll take
2: my chances <laughs> yeah i've
1: heard crazy stories about harpoons getting like deployed accidentally and then shooting a, an inmate um a coworker <laughs> not an inmate <laughs> yeah,
0: a coworker yeah.
1: and um and all that well yeah. before we jump into the um, how it felt like diving in in the iceberg and everything how did how did you actually fund this and where did the idea came from how did mm-hmm. all of that happen mm-hmm. for you
2: well, my colleague Wes Giles and I were like both just fascinated with ec- Antarctic exploration and we wanted to find a way to do a project there because we're both mm-hmm. underwater filmmakers and good storytellers. And and we also had the opportunity at the time um, to pitch a story to National Geographic for a, a film and magazine article. And um, so our original thought was that we were going to pitch a story to basically follow in Shackleton's footsteps from New Zealand to Antarctica and and try and sort of mirror some of his, you know, exploration feats, mm-hmm. but a hundred years after his work. Uh, but as we were starting to think of ideas and and developing scripts and things like that, then the largest iceberg in recorded history broke away from the Antarctic ice shelf, from, from the Ross ice shelf. And, uh, and that's when I said to Wes, I'm like, oh, this is the story, climate change, sea level rise. And interestingly, so this would have been in the year 2000, but interestingly, at the time, as I oh, wrote this, 20 years ago. For, yeah, yeah, 20, I wrote, yeah. yeah. I wrote the script for the documentary film and people were saying, "Oh, you can't use those terms, sea level rise and, you know, climate change. That's not proven science. That's like really political." And like, you know, look at it today. We're very concerned about the state of ice. Exactly. In this at that world. time I can
1: imagine like your conspiracy theories, stop with that. That's mm-hmm. not true. <laughs> and then now it's right. like, "Oh, actually, <laughs>
2: actually it matters (laughs) yeah because that that piece of ice was as big as the country of jamaica
1: and that is insane that's bigger than portugal way bigger than portugal so just speaking to me that's bro crazy yeah
2: and it took until um two years ago for that iceberg to completely melt into the ocean and so imagine That iceberg was originally snow and ice on top of the landscape in Antarctica. And so what happens with like ice on the land is is it moves downhill basically towards the ocean. Same thing with Greenland. And then... And then you get like an ice sheet that's sort of like hanging off the edge sort of so there's water beneath but ice on top Mm -hmm. and then eventually like cracks develop and these things break away under you know situations of warming so what that means is that that was a Jamaica-sized chunk of ice that used to live on land that is now melted into the ocean so that's what contributes to sea level rise and um, that's That's a lot of stuff, (laughs) it's a lot of ice. (laughs)
1: Jesus. And you basically then made these hypothesis, which is like, okay, Mm -hmm. are there caves inside icebergs? Right. And guess what, we can test it out, we can prove it. Mm -hmm. So let's create this expedition and uh, have a team and then see to ourselves if it exists and we can make a documentary out of it. Which is again, the first ever documented footage of inside an iceberg Mm -hmm. which is insane in my head so (laughs) yeah it's 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 it takes a different type of bravery that only a very selected few can actually do it yeah because he's searching for the unknown you know mm -hmm. it's it's yeah just yeah it's just crazy and the biggest fear in mankind is the unknown it's when we don't know what to expect it's scary Mm -hmm. But then we have people like Jill. They're like, "Okay, let's go." I love exploring new unknown locations that I don't know nothing about.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I'm still scared, but (laughs) but I'm willing.
1: (laughs) Oh yeah, amazing. And all with these submarine
0: uh, stuff, like people got to know that the ocean is very, you know, unknown. Like we only cover twenty percent of the the whole ocean of the world. That's crazy. We know more about the space than the.
2: absolutely in the
0: ocean so that's that's congrats first of all Jill like you're yeah you're the bravest person that ever came to our podcast that's for sure (laughs) wow
1: that's that's insane (laughs) so um then you pitched this idea to National Geographic were Mm -hmm. they hesitant hesitant because again this was never done before maybe like okay we're just going to waste money and then there's no caves how was that whole I was to convince them, uh, yeah convincing I, wise
2: I think we were pretty convincing <laughs> 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 uh, because the first response was what there's caves inside of icebergs and and although we didn't know for sure we're like oh yeah there's caves inside of icebergs so we were really uh uh really positive about it and by the end of the meeting they were like okay we will give you the funding now we needed other funding that we had to seek privately as well to make it happen but the funny thing is yeah the funny thing is is that um after that meeting um emery christoph and remarkable explorer. Um, he actually, you know, put his arm around my my colleague and said, that's the biggest crock of crap I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> 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 so I was pretty nervous about like delivering after they had, you know, funded everything. And uh, it it uh, that was a lot of pressure, you know, a lot of stress Can for imagine. me because, you know, I just wanted everything to come together the way I had envisioned. <laughs>
1: 100 percent and again preparation for this which you had been to the arctic before so cold waters were probably not the biggest concern other Mm -hmm. things were but still how were you preparing to go into this entire territory of antarctica and being able to actually do these uh this diving
2: yeah there was a lot of uh a lot of training and prep. I mean the first thing we had to do is get permits and and I know you mentioned mm-hmm. earlier that Antarctica really represents many countries because it's sort of divided up into a pie yeah. shape and and different different countries um sort of have um uh like authority over their little slice of the Land pie where it. they yeah, where they do their research. So I first applied to the um, United States um uh, a scientific foundation that was responsible for those permits. And I told them that I was going to use rebreathers, this very advanced form of life support equipment to do the diving. And they wrote me back and said, no, sorry, we don't approve the use of rebreathers in Antarctica. Um, not only will we not give you a permit, but if anything happens to you, we won't send any Coast Guard assets or anything to help you out you know, you're going to have to get a permit somewhere else. So I ended up getting the permit from New Zealand. They were like, oh, yeah, no problem.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Um, Even ask questions. They're like, here, rebreeders, here's the the paperwork. Let's do it.
2: Yeah, yeah. And and that technology, like I, I, that was really important to the success of the project and to my safety. So I wasn't going to band on that. And, um, you know, it took another 20 years for um, the United States uh, science foundation to uh to approve the use of that equipment in antarctica so yeah yeah but we would not have been able to do the dives that we did without it um i probably wouldn't be here today if i tried to do dives with traditional scuba gear yeah
1: (laughs) in antarctica and at that time especially 2000 the how the technology evolved from 2000 to Mm -hmm. 2023 just you know yeah. way a bigger years. wave than obviously like 70s to mm-hmm. to 90s and whatever like doing mm-hmm. one of the most important dives in history i'm gonna say it with that level of equipment and antiquity right because it's old yeah. stuff now mm-hmm. it's so impressive
2: <laughs> it's really,
1: really impressive yeah but i mean the gear that, is
2: oh sorry yeah i was just gonna say the gear go, is go, kind go, of go. like What you'd wear for um, a spacewalk, it's the same technology. So you're wearing a dry suit. Um, that, so you're basically sealed away from the environments. Now you're not warm, (laughs) but you know, you Mm -hmm. can tolerate it. So you have a lot of layers of undergarments underneath. So you're, you know, huge with all these layers. Um, but then the actual like life support equipment, uh, basically every breath that I exhale rather than making bubbles and losing gas to the environment, I'm actually recycling that gas. So I'm removing carbon dioxide mm-hmm. from the mixture, adding little additions of oxygen to make up for what my body's metabolized, and then continuing to sort of recycle that gas. So it's exactly the same thing that someone, you know, uses in their spacesuit um, if they're doing a spacewalk mm-hmm. at the International Space Station. And um, yeah, and back in those days, uh, it, it was quite new that technology and i was really at the cutting edge of of that and since that time uh, a lot of other people are now doing rebreather diving it's definitely you know rising in popularity and use in scientific diving
1: and commercial diving operations as well and uh were you with helium as well or just oxygen and uh, nitrogen
2: so on this trip, we weren't using helium and we made it as a safety decision because, um, you know, when you're down there, you're weeks and weeks and weeks away from help if something happens. So if you mm-hmm. have a diving accident and you get the decompression illness or the bends, as we call it, then um, then there's no way to get help. So helium and the deeper diving really you know, brings up the danger a notch. And so we decided that we would stay in the, in the 40 meter range and use air Mm. mixes, um, for our diving. Okay.
1: Helium is only really necessary below 40 meters.
2: Yeah. Yeah. 30 to 40 meters. We usually switch to helium mixes. Yeah.
1: Nice. Nice. And like, once you made the dive, how did you feel like getting out of the boat, dry suit on, all the historic equipment then started going to the cave how was that feeling
2: yeah um you know amazing it took us it took us time to find what i felt was um would you know meet the deliverables that i'd promised basically to national geographic so we found lots of little caverns and crevasses and and little short tunnel systems in the icebergs at first. But what I wanted was this massive cave system where I could swim Mm. and swim and swim. And so it took us about, we were about 30 days into the project down in Antarctica before I found what I felt was like the cave that really did it, that was really something totally new and different. And uh, on that dive, I... I rolled out of the Zodiac into slush, basically. So uh, the surface of the water was, was, you know, about a meter of slush and chunks of ice. And I was in this sort of crack in the side of the iceberg. And so when I first started to descend, I'm descending through this slush and pushing it all out of the way. And for a brief moment, I I saw a Weddell seal zip by. Um, and then as soon as I'm below the slush and the visibility opened up, I could see this, this crack going way back into blackness inside this iceberg. And that's when I started to descend and drop down. And I got so excited about, ah, this is really
0: happening. Jeez. <laughs>
2: But on my very first dive inside the iceberg, um, my my diving partner and I, Paul and I were um, um, like hearing cracks and like all kinds of loud sounds from the ice. And, And I that wasn't unexpected because I'd experienced that from ice diving before, like the ice moves and cracks and makes these loud sounds that even reverberate in your sternum, you know. And when we turned around to come back out, the entrance that we'd gone into it was blocked (laughs) by ice. So yeah, we had to find another way out of that cave. The very first dive, Um, and so that was Was the first scary. Oh yeah! As soon as I realized, holy mackerel, this is where we went in, and the doorway's gone. My heart was racing, and it turns out more oxygen been
1: consumed. Yeah. (laughs)
2: Yeah. Well, it turns out my uh, my other colleagues who were in a, a boat above us were absolutely freaking out because a big chunk of ice had calved away in the doorway. And when that ice hit the sea, it caused this huge wave that almost toppled them out of the boat. And uh, they were sitting in the boat going, what do we do? There's nothing we can do. Like, none of us are capable of a rescue. Like, if they don't come back, that's it. And um, so they had a long wait before they knew that we were safe
1: like for me cave diving is already like cave diving is the most dangerous leisure activity in the world Mm -hmm. i think it's even more dangerous than base jumping and again i iceberg diving has first of all it's not mapped second there's no cords to guide you third it's a piece of move it's a piece of ice that's completely moving so it creates Mm -hmm. currents
2: yeah
1: Uh, caves are completely changing forever again cracks uh, sounds from hell i can imagine those cracking sounds whatever they sounded like like leviathans you're probably wondering oh something's gonna get me below me
0: and don't forget to add that she was in antarctica bro
1: and (laughs)
0: in
1: freezing cold waters jill yeah yeah
2: yeah well, I mean, it- I knew that what we were going to do was incredibly dangerous. I mean, just getting there, I knew we were taking a lot of risks just crossing the Southern Ocean for 12 days. But um, but I actually wrote letters to my family before I left, and it was just everything that I, you know, would have wished I would have said if I didn't return home safely. So the letter was just basically like, don't open this unless I go come home.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I that's awesome. Yeah. No, that's awesome. And um and, and yeah, once you actually reach that cave that you always wanted, uh, mm-hmm. I saw a clip of the of the crustaceans and the wildlife that you recorded. Amazing stuff.
2: Yeah, it, it, that was incredible to find an ecosystem, you know, that nobody really even knew existed underneath the ice. There's a lot of life and color on the seafloor in Antarctica and um just because it's cold doesn't mean there's not a lot of life.
1: Mm-hmm. And and yeah, it must be a different type of fulfillment to, again, discover new species, help advance science. It's interesting because I also wanted to talk about this, how you switched careers. Um, mm-hmm. We had a, a similar topic in our previous episode yeah. of Tanzania. Um, and for you, you know, now being a scientist and before, you know, doing office work, and now you're here in Antarctica, looking at a species that was never seen before by any human, and you're like, "I've covered this, and I've advanced t- science just by recording these species and knowing yeah. more about this ecosystem and biome of Antarctica." So,
2: yeah, I mean, my my first career in life, I had an advertising agency in Toronto, so I'm an artist, and. Okay. Um, yeah, creative creative professional and you know a couple of years into my career I was I was teaching scuba nights and weekends as my hobby and I was sitting at my drafting table just going you know I love the creative process I I I love making art um but I want to do this underwater so I needed to find a way to advance a career as a creative professional underwater and uh so it was a big you know big shift but but now I, I get to I get to dabble in a lot of different sciences and and I become the eyes and the hands of a scientist that can't go to a place that I can get to. So it's it's exciting. It means a lot of collaborating.
1: Mm-hmm. And um, what made you switch careers? I uh, I can imagine like you sitting at your agency at the desk and just like one day you were like, I need to go something more than this something more Um, exciting adventurous what made you like click
2: Yeah, I mean, more than anything, it was just that I I don't like being indoors.
0: <laughs> and so <laughs> she doesn't like being indoors. Really.
2: Yeah. No, I mean the the um, my office just yeah. felt like it was closing in on me. It's 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 funny because people look at caves and they're like, Oh my god, I'm so claustrophobic <laughs> sure. Looking at what yeah, you do. Of an sure. office. <laughs> um, <laughs> right, but it's my office that made me feel claustrophobic. And um yeah, it, it was it's hard when you, you know, I had a successful career, I had a great business. Um, but it, it it's hard to leave that behind. And I literally yeah. sold everything I owned. I I walked away from the business. I moved to the Cayman Islands to start my career in diving and and it was like starting over again. And and the the ramp up to that took a couple of years and and a lot of anxiety and stress. But as soon as I'd done it as soon as I'd gotten rid of everything that I owned and I was down in, in the Caribbean, it was like, ah, I did the that's right thing. I'm, I'm so happy.
0: You know, Oh, that's, yeah. that's the best feeling ever, you know, mm-hmm. just being happy doing yeah. what you, what you love or
1: you're meant to do this. Pursuing and passion, definitely. pursuing passion truly. Yeah. And, um and risk has to come with it, which scares mm-hmm. people, of course. Sure. Like if someone has, a well profitable agency and they're like okay i can sustain myself for the rest of my life yet i'm not being stimulated and i'm not i'm not ha- having getting out of the comfort zone I, right what i am doing mm-hmm. yeah and then you're yeah. in this situation this bubble but you have to pop the bubble and popping yeah. the bubble requires mm-hmm. you again selling out selling out your agency moving out selling everything starting over and building something something from the ground up which yeah uh, Again, immense brave, courage, yeah. and for you, I wouldn't say otherwise, because if someone is brave enough to <laughs> yeah. swim underneath an iceberg, they're brave enough to do that as well. But that requires still a different type of bravery, I would say. Uh, and I'm very happy <laughs> yeah. that you that you did it 100%. Thanks.
0: <laughs> and Jill, I mean, uh, why do you get right there in the caves in Antarctica, uh, do you feel any difference between the caves that you've had Explorer before?
2: Oh the, yeah. What was
0: the main difference? Like you just yeah check it you know,
2: out. It's, it's funny because most people, they hear about the, the sport of cave diving and they go, oh, like, so you're swimming through wet rocks. right? And it's amazing how different caves are around the world um, in different locations. Like here uh, in Canada, where I live, um, I'm exploring Canada's longest underwater cave system, and it's in fresh water. And yet it's really full of life. Um, It's an amazing freshwater cave, but I've never seen anything like that anywhere else in the world. But other caves that I dive in are in the sea, or sometimes they're even... On land, and I can go in through a hole on land and swim underground and exit in the ocean. So sometimes we have both fresh water and salt water in one cave, and it's amazing the differences. But but these caves are kind of like. Museums of natural history, you know, they they can tell us things, scientific mm. um, investigations, like we can learn about uh, Earth's past climate, we can learn about the biology, um, interesting forms of life that have never seen the light of day. Um, and then even some caves are cultural repositories where ancient civilizations have left behind um, remains and artifacts that we explore and document as well.
1: There was, yeah, there was these um <laughs> when i was in brazil it was just um a couple of weeks ago i was i wanted juan to be prepared for this episode because he hadn't heard that many stories about cave diving and we saw this film which was yeah. exactly what you explained the yeah. film was not good but yeah, it was demonstrating good. these indigenous grounds underneath mm. a cave um an underwater cave mm-hmm. and uh and yet they also entered through a hole yeah. Uh, on terrain, and then they dived underneath, and then they exited on the ocean. So it was yeah. like all this formation with these, um, yeah, again, these artifacts and these, uh, again, architecture in a way, mm-hmm. under underneath this mm-hmm. cave where people used to live, and now it mm-hmm. it was submerged in water because of rising sea levels and um, and all of that. So watching that film was absolutely fascinating, even though it was not good. <laughs> it was, <laughs> scary. yeah, I mean. <laughs>
0: I mean, the caves and also the, the history bit uh, about the caves. They're they were actually good. I mean, the quality of the movie itself wasn't that good, <laughs> yeah. But, but, the cave but yeah, itself it was, was impressive so to, to watch uh, the, the caves. And come
2: yeah, see. there's actually a lot and of caves in,
0: yeah.
2: in Brazil. Um, there's actually a lot of beautiful caves in Br- Brazil, but it's not legal to dive them because uh, Oh no yeah they've made it illegal just because of the risk i guess there were there have been a couple of fatalities in those caves and so they said all right illegal can't cave dive which is too bad because there, yeah. there are there's some unique formations in those caves that that we don't see anywhere else
1: do they have the the signs i, I know that the very popular sign of like don't enter with the green reaper uh, yes. do the illegal caves have those signs or only the legal caves have it with the gates as well?
2: Uh I think there are actually signs in, in the Brazilian caves as well. Yeah. Because I know some people that went and explored those 20, 25 years ago before they were made illegal, and they were they were hoping yeah. to set it up for for Yeah, Brazil government just make yeah. it hard for
0: everyone, not
1: only for us, yeah. but to everybody who wants to come. Yeah. Do you actually this is an, an interesting question? Do you think it's possible to have tourism in cave diving just because you Mm -hmm. require so much prior knowledge Mm -hmm. and experience to be able to cave dive and most people don't understand it they think okay i have the scuba diving certificate i can just go inside Mm -hmm. a cave but then they don't understand silting out a cave how to get out of it um you know having too much ego going a little bit more than what you should Mm -hmm. then i can get out now all Mm -hmm. these currents are a big thing as well from caves. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, do, do you think it would be possible someday
2: Absolutely. It is already. Um, I mean, in the last 20, 30 years, uh, so much has changed within cave diving. It used to be very um, American centric and people would always go to Florida to train. Uh, But now there's a very active um, and growing uh, tourism business in Mexico, in the uh, Riviera Maya, where people go to just for tourism but also um, to learn um, cave diving from properly qualified cave diving instructors so so you know 20 30 years ago um, you know when i started like when i started teaching in the in the 90s teaching cave diving in the 90s there weren't that many cave diving instructors but now all over the world we have cave diving instructors and so people can go to france or go to uh the riviera maya or parts of the caribbean and bahamas um or or other places to to learn safely with with someone and and uh do that in vacation time yeah
1: (laughs) do do they still require the certificate for cave diving or can they just go with the oh so they do require
2: yeah So so there's a yeah, they can they can earn it um, with an instructor um, in Mexico or Florida or many other places. But yeah, there's mm-hmm. a lot of training required beyond normal, or... beyond recreational scuba in order to be ready for a, a cave diving class. Yeah,
1: yeah, that was the thing I was mostly asking if if someone only has the open water certificate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, would they still be able to do this type of tourism? Like if it's highly regulated with someone very experienced?
2: In Mm. Mexico. In Mexico, they're well set up. So if you're just a recreational scuba diver, they can take you on what's called a cavern tour. So the difference between a cavern and a cave is that caves have no light whatsoever. So the cavern is like the doorway (laughs) where you Ah, can still see the sunlight. Yeah.
1: Okay. yeah, Yeah.
2: Yeah. So they can do like, little bit of education and then take you on a cavern tour but you'll always be able to look over your shoulder and see the exit
1: um okay visibility we like that we like that (laughs)
2: yes (laughs) so yeah it's a controlled situation but i tell you what the doorways to caves those cavern zones that's the most beautiful part because you're looking out through this archway and the colors are like nothing you've ever seen before
1: Mm. for sure and Quality differences or qualities that someone should have that are different Mm -hmm. from um, recreational diving and cave diving. Because Mm -hmm. I I imagine you failed a couple students because they didn't have these types of skills. What would those skills be that are like mandatory that they have? You know,
2: yeah, more than anything, it's the mindset. Um, So, uh, you know, you have to be you have to be open minded but um, but you also have to be very like diligent with safety protocols and like when you come to take a cave diving class i would expect a student to make a lot of mistakes like that's why they're that's why they're taking training so you don't have to arrive perfect you know yeah. you're you're in a learning experience and so like throughout the cave diving training process we just give someone more and more complex problems to deal with until we're convinced that that they can keep their cool in the biggest emergency so um yeah we just need to be confident that they're capable of self-rescue and that they're capable and and uh willing to do a buddy rescue if it's if it's ever needed
1: mm. okay yeah buddy rescue with a silted awesome. all cave that's yep. probably the most terrifying thing like yeah. ever and that's where most accidents happen where they cannot es- escape is when a cave is completely silted out Mm -hmm. the cord they cannot see where it is or it's been cut off by some rock uh and you just need to be in this like monk mindset of like okay yeah i have to just breathe super slowly heart rate Mm -hmm. as low as possible and let's Mm -hmm. have a plan just have a
2: plan yeah i mean in that cave diving class you would learn everything like that like how to patch a broken guideline how to follow a guideline if you can't see it you know how to lay that guideline and um and so yeah you you learn how to do all of those things and so if there's ever a, an issue down the road all you have to do is perform what you did in your class and stick with the safety you know before you get in the water like you know make sure you're jumping in with the right equipment the right backups the right people and um mm-hmm. and it's it's fine if you do yeah yeah thank you. No.
0: Andrew, what was the most dangerous, you know, thing that happened ever happening with those expeditions that you was down there in, Ar- Coast Antarctica? Yeah. in Antarctica? Yeah.
2: In Antarctica? Wow, there was so much. It's funny, on the way back from Antarctica, because we had 12 days <laughs> sailing to get back to uh, New Zealand again, we at one dinner we sat around the table and we all decided to share what was our scariest moment of the trip. And um and I was pretty shocked that there were some people who had had these scary moments that I wasn't even aware that they were, you know, sort of in fear of their life at that moment. <laughs> like, like the uh, the captain let us know that he'd had a small engine fire and, uh, and was like fighting fire below decks at one point yeah. that I completely did not know about. <laughs> we were stuck in the ice. Um, that had me a bit worried because... Um, At one point, all the sea ice came and sealed around the ship, and for about a day and a half, we were stuck in the ice. And we had, yeah, we had one colleague on board uh, from Chile that had um, overwintered in Antarctica for a year, and uh, he was quite concerned because he had been on a boat that sank in Antarctica, and he was rescued like from that boat, and uh, so he knew there was no one to rescue us, so he was pretty. He was pretty worried at
1: that. He already had the trauma. Oh my god. Yeah,
2: Thinking but even ship in Antarctica. Yeah, even um, like traveling down there, the whole the whole hull and and superstructure of the vessel got covered in mm. in ice just from rain and mist and and everything. And uh, we had to go out on the deck and bash the ice off with baseball bats and hammers to uh, what? Like <laughs> yeah. Yeah, really? because if you get too much ice encasing the ship, it gets top heavy and it'll it'll roll over. So, so more. you know, one That's day the call. captain comes, yeah, comes on the address system and says, "Everybody up on deck! We gotta <laughs> get the ice off the boat." Grab
1: a baseball bat. Let's play Minecraft in real life. <laughs> Start mining all yeah. over the ice. <laughs>
2: Yeah, but I mean, the seas were high, like, you know, the boats rocking and rolling. And of course, you don't want to fall off the boat. So, you know, sometimes we were like putting on a harness and tying ourselves to the ship, and things like that.
0: And you took a day <laughs> a half for, you know, people found you there. How, how was it? like? Uh, no, no.
2: No, there, there was no rescue. Um, the ice just broke up. So we kept okay. using, yeah, we had um, two small Zodiacs. And so we were trying to pry kind of a hole in the ice and move the ice Jeez. with the Zodiacs. And we had a helicopter that was like heading forward to see where the open water was. And, and we were aware that Even though we were locked in the ice, we were drifting with the ice, so we were drifting
0: northward,
2: kind of away from our ultimate destination. Um,
0: It's just
1: scary, but
2: yeah, we just kind of got lucky. (laughs) Yeah,
1: and um, again, just going back a little bit with the currents because I know Antarctica is very windy, and the currents are all over the place. They're Mm -hmm. almost like a wheel, a whirlwulf. Uh, and it's very hard to calculate the currents, which is from other cave diving experiences. You can kind of see, okay, these day kind of know where it goes, but when you're in Antarctica, you don't know, Mm -hmm. you don't know, you don't know how is that dealing with the currents?
2: Yeah, you're absolutely right. So the ice is moving. And Mm -hmm. so like, it doesn't, you know, like when you're, when you're anchored up beside something the size of Jamaica, you you don't realize that you're moving, (laughs) you know, like you feel stationary because you and the dive site are moving and, uh, but you're getting a lot of current from that. You're also getting currents from freshwater melting into seawater and they're different densities. And so, and also different temperatures. And so you get these vertical currents, like suddenly you're swimming along and then you hit a vertical current and you're just dropping 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 fast like an elevator and you have to escape the vertical the yeah yeah you have to escape that vertical current um, so yeah very very uncertain and of course there's no tide tables that you can refer to down there to even understand the um the changing tides um so everything was you know well you know we've got to make a as conservative a plan as possible, and know when to turn around, and then based on whatever information we would learn on one particular dive, we would sit down, regroup, and make a new plan to be as safe as possible for the next one. Um, so it really was day to day learning,
1: mm. learning on the spot, <laughs> mm-hmm. quite basically. Yeah. yeah, and you you still had guidelines to to know how to try to get out of the uh, iceberg.
2: Yeah, so we can lay uh, like cave divers have a, a reel, um, so it's sort of like a fishing reel but bigger and with heavier line on it, and we run that that string through a cave so that at the worst case scenario, if there's an emergency, if you can't see, you can put your hand around that guideline and follow that as a tactile reference out of a cave. So we can do the same thing in places like Antarctica, but. Since there's no place to sort of loop the line, um, we can use ice screws, like these titanium screws that we can put into the ice and tie it off to that and create a bit of a, a root so that that we can retrace our footsteps again. Yeah. How
1: do you screw it? Yeah.
2: Um, so it's got threads on it and little points in the end. So you kind of jam it. Against the ice, and then spin it, and it eats its way into the ice, and the little core. With no spits two, out the just center. with your
1: hands. Oh, with your just strength. With your hand, yeah. Oh, fine. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. my god. Yeah. Okay. Jill, how? <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, in a, <laughs> in a
2: in a in like in a rock cave. Like sometimes when we do um, uh, a combination of dry caving and cave diving, sometimes mm. they'll use like. A bolt gun so it's like a a powered device that can shoot a bolt into rock and then you have an anchor point but we Mm. don't have any technology like that for underwater with the ice so it's yeah you just have to screw those things in by hand yeah
1: Mm. and do you think that cave diving um it's still in a way unsafe because again there's a a lot of things that can happen but how can it be safer with new tech technology that is arriving, I guess, mapping out caves in 3D is yeah. super beneficial yeah. to kind of understand past a little bit more, but what more mm-hmm. can be done to also attract newcomers that mm-hmm. are a little bit scared mm-hmm. of like, oh, I don't know.
2: Yeah. Well, for about 30 years, I've been I've been doing projects with a man named Dr. Bill Stone. And um, back in the late 1990s, he built a device that I could drive into a cave and it would ping the walls with sonar and make a three-dimensional map. And that was the very first time anyone had ever made a three-dimensional accurate map of any cave system, dry or wet. And uh, so that was back in 1997, 98. But since that time, he's continued to develop that technology. And now um, that same mapper that I used to have to drive through the cave is a fully autonomous, artificially intelligent robot. So we can literally put this device in the water, and it's it's about my size. It's not in a human form or anything. It's called Sunfish. And it's got little thrusters all over it, but we can put it in the water and tell it to go find a cave, swim into the cave, map it, and bring back the data. And wow, uh, yeah, and that's technology that's actually destined for space, for exploring um, the liquid ocean beneath uh, Europa, uh, Jupiter's moon. Um, has a frozen surface and a liquid ocean beneath. And so the technology is really developed for that, but it's been proven over the past, you know, almost, well, about 25 years um, in that development cycle. Uh, So yeah, that'll be a lot safer. That sunfish robot will be able to go to the deepest depths of the ocean or into any cave or out into space and uh, bring us back maps.
1: I I, I want to see that robot go into Bermuda Triangle, Mariana Trenches type yeah. caves, cause just covering water is a no. Oh place. my god, the yeah. the sea worms that are probably living there, unknown <laughs> to us, giant yeah. squids, oh my god, just yeah. terrifying creatures that yeah. I would love to know if they existed or not.
2: Yeah. Have, have you ever
1: actually going to that, have you ever encountered like uh yeah, besides a, the polar bears, like something weird animal you, like just weird animal or like yeah. something that you were like oh this could be really dangerous to me
2: oh gosh yeah I mean I see a, a a lot of animals in the in the north um walruses are actually probably more dangerous than polar bears
1: to swim with um walrus, I had no yeah. idea are they the hippos they're... of the Arctic because hippos <laughs> are very dangerous <laughs> but they're so, also yeah. very cute uh yeah walrus, they look kind of like that
2: they might be, they, I, you know, they might be, they're just um, incredibly defensive if if they're mm. taking care of their young, especially. And, and uh, the first thing that happens when you jump in the water with a walrus is if it's near like a ice at all, it'll go bash its tusks against the ice, just to show you what it'll do with your head if you get any closer. <laughs> 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 so yeah, so I've had, you know, a lot of experiences with what people you know, conceive of as dangerous animals, but I've also had wondrous experiences. Like I remember once jumping off the east coast of Canada into a pod of of about a hundred humpback whales that were feeding. Oh. And a mother came by me. I was in the water for hours and she came by me repeatedly to show me her calf.
1: And oh, the two of them
2: That's would so come cute. right really? by me so close that they're like literally like running along the edge of my hand, you know? Oh,
0: I love whales.
2: After, yeah, after many hours, her husband, this big bull humpback, came by. And when he swam by me, also very close, he brought his tail fluke down, like within millimeters of the dome of my camera lens, just, and when he did that, that, that wake just blew me backwards tumbling away from him <laughs> but the next thing he did as he's swimming away is he let out this massive like i don't even know how many pounds kilos tons whatever right. but he, he he let out a giant crap <laughs> <It's> <laughs> so now i'm swimming through Swimming through whale poop, and I was just giddy. <laughs> I was just laughing because I thought, okay, okay, I get it. I get it. <laughs> I'll get out of the water. I guess I've, I've had my time. <laughs>
0: enough. The biggest enough, poop enough. you ever saw in your life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <Yep.
1: laughs> oh, my God. That's amazing. <laughs> that, that is, is great. Cool. Uh, and um, I I did want to ask you about uh, s- something again with these creatures because i feel bad how sharks are represented in media and yeah. uh with diving and um in cave diving i'm sure you've encountered encountered countless um types of sharks and the media always portrays now it's getting a little bit better but still with horror films and whatever it is yeah. sharks are it's the our bad main enemy representation of sharks yeah. and mm-hmm. and then what it creates is uh these wanting to to, to hunt sharks to get them out of their own territory and there's mm-hmm. been a problem again also with the uh, with the fin soup and all of that just mm-hmm. reducing shark population to the max how has yeah. your experience been with sharks and yeah, yeah i love sharks
2: <laughs> i love sharks they don't they don't worry me at all i'm not on their i'm not on their diet <laughs> you know um <laughs> honestly like it, like when i see a shark underwater 99% of the time I terrify the shark, so so you know the shark is thinking, "Oh my God, a human is running away!" You know, so you see the tail of a shark swimming away. So when I get to see an encounter and spend time with a shark, it's it's a huge privilege. Um, but yeah, we we don't smell like, look like, or taste like anything that they want right. to eat. Like whenever someone's injured by a shark, it's usually either like a defensive bite or it's like a "Are you food?" Like, and and it happens to people who are like on the surface on a like imagine what a surfboard looks like from beneath with little arms hanging off the edge of a surfboard and little legs hanging off the edge just floating on the surface you look like a sick seal you know (laughs) so yeah I mean when somebody gets bit in a scenario like that it's it's because the shark thought it was a sick animal you know that it could eat because they're just garbage collectors of the sea they don't want to they don't want to chase you down and and they don't hunt want you. To you. <laughs> no they don't they don't especially if you've got like scuba gear on right <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> probably you won't taste good yeah. at all <laughs> yeah
2: yeah too. so i mean you're more likely to die of a fatal bowling accident than you are to to get bitten by a shark you know so <laughs> so it's 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 pretty safe <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. yeah i love I, to break uh, those stereotypes right here. Yeah. yeah yeah
1: again especially you know me being a huge horror fan uh, and obviously not being alive at that time. But when Jaws came out, everybody mm-hmm. was like, I, I hate, hate sharks. Well. I don't like them. Hate them. Sharks. Yeah. I don't want to see them ever in my life. And then that created the biggest yeah. panic ever through um, through mainstream media, of course, of Jaws. And then other yeah. movies kind of taking that uh, and putting it in other types of media, like even The Shallows. Mm-hmm. Very recent film, again, with shark attacks. Even the movie that we were watching was literally a shark inside a, a cave. Yeah. Basically, it was like a blind shark inside a cage. Yeah, it was about shark attacks, kind of stuff. Yeah. That's okay. why we hate it. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. back. because yeah. I also love sharks quite a lot. Uh, especially after living in South Africa, you know, sharks mm-hmm. are a big thing there. And mm-hmm. me loving surfing, it's like okay, I have to deal with maybe encountering a shark, but knowing how mm-hmm. to prepare myself for the occasion that mm-hmm. uh, that if that happens. Um, and I went to kind of like an excursion to go sightsee sharks. And I saw a great white shark, and oh wow, one of the most beautiful moments in my life. It was absolutely mm-hmm. insane. Absolutely they're insane. so beautiful, yeah. They they're are... so
2: beautiful, and they're such an important part of the food chain. Like if we lose all the sharks, if if people keep eating shark fin soup or killing sharks for sport, um, then we lose the top predator, and that absolutely, you know, has impacts on everything else in the ocean. So it's really important that we keep a healthy shark population. Yeah, not
1: to mess with the ecosystem at all. That's what us humans love to do. It's like some yeah. people I don't know why, but they see a giraffe and they're like, "I want the head of that giraffe." And like, why? Just why? let yeah. it do its thing, or a lion, yeah. or whatever it is. Or mm-hmm. on the other spectrum, which obviously I would feel bad, but it's just how nature works. When you see like a lioness kill a gazelle or something, mm-hmm. anyone try to save the gazelle, but. You're like no, this is just how nature just, is. Yeah, just let the mm. nature gonna happen. You know, yeah. heck is
2: yeah. I, I mean, on the one hand, the gazelle family's upset, but on the other hand, the lion <laughs> the family like managed to feed their cubs. Yeah, exactly. so, yeah, it's <laughs> exactly. all relative.
1: Mm-hmm. No, for sure. Um, just one last thing uh, about this cave diving thing, which is again your travels across the world, which we hadn't talked. We haven't talked um, that much, but you you know take your time to explore caves on very unknown territories like let's put aside uh, Antarctica, like pacific mm-hmm. islands that very few people very few people have visited um some islands in, in the caribbean even islands mm-hmm. in whatever place it is yeah. what has been like the the craziest of these unknown places that you've been that you're like people should really come here and there should be more tourism yeah. around these this location
2: um boy uh I think one of the, like, the unexpected diving projects I was involved in was in the Canary Islands, actually, uh, diving inside an active volcano. So,
1: <laughs> Wow, so, wait, what? Yeah. Inside an active volcano? How does that work?
2: Yeah, so um, if you imagine, like, when an, a volcano erupts and lava flows down the side of the mountain... Uh, mm-hmm. So there's there's an exterior of that lava flow and the interior is hot lava. So the hot lava keeps flowing. When the hot lava hits the ocean, it creates this huge gas explosion and it keeps on flowing into the sea and and then eventually that outer crust cools. And the lava flows inside for a period of time until that also cools but what's left behind then is a tunnel you know and so that tunnel not only goes down the flank of the mountain the volcano but it goes under the ocean as well and uh, so in Lanzarote I I went there to look for unique cave adapted animals inside the world's longest uh, volcanic lava tube and it was um, probably 5,000 years old, this tube. And so the seafloor had actually covered a lot of it. So I'm literally like starting inland, going into the water, and then diving down until I'm diving beneath the seafloor in this cave system. And it was the weirdest environment I've I've ever seen. It was, it was crazy. And then we found a lot of, of, of new animals that hadn't been identified uh, by science before.
1: Well, wow. were they oh, crustaceans? What kind of type of animal yeah, kind were of animal they? There?
2: Yeah, a lot of crustaceans and crustaceans. worms, and then there are some cave adapted fish, and then there were some there were some little crabs that were pretty interesting called Munidopsis. and those crabs are found on the deepest ocean vents, those ones that smoke um, on the seafloor, and they've been mm-hmm. found nowhere else except at the bottom of the ocean and in this oh. particular cave. And what's really cool is that there's one surface pool um, where we start our dives, where tourists can actually walk through the dry part of the cave, and they can look into this pool, and they can see all these little white, tiny crabs, and those are the moonidopsis crabs. Um, and it looks like you're looking at star constellations, because you're in this dark cave, but these little white animals are sort of glowing, and um, they're quite beautiful.
1: Yeah. Wow. Wow. Casey i, I I'm just trying pain, to yeah. picture like a tunnel with a different type of rock. I can yeah. imagine like geologists would be they'll probably yeah. be their favorite day in in their lives mm-hmm. just visiting that cave yeah and uh yeah. And, and and yeah, just uh how as well like polar opposites diving inside a volcano and diving inside an yeah. iceberg, right
2: <laughs> yeah yeah
1: quite fascinating yeah. I love that hey, well, Jill, Jill, I mean this episode
0: has passed by very fast. You're just uh-huh. coming in of our podcast. But before finishing up our podcast, Guilherme wants to do the question. He does every single episode. This question has to be different because since you're not yeah, uh, yeah. on I fun, But we can actually have, you know, a little bit of adaptation on the question, bro.
1: For sure, you for see. sure. <laughs> before, Jill, I'm I could listen to your stories for hours yeah, and hours. hours I yeah. you know, I, I share with you a big passion for the ocean. I'm a, I'm a big surfer. I just I respect it a lot. I don't fear it. I respect it because I know yeah the that force that's that it has. the word.
0: We gotta respect the ocean,
1: 100. And uh, growing up next to the ocean in Portugal, south of Portugal, I'm just I always want to be in it. And w- in each country that I that I live in and visit, I always want to try to you know yeah. explore and surf as many places as I can. Um, and uh, and it's really nice to talk with someone that has that shared passion it's a little bit different you know being inside caves but still we're still uh, the ocean 100 <laughs> we're all water uh, people <laughs> yeah. exactly exactly uh-huh. and this year i'm actually even planning on taking my open water certificate for diving i don't know about cave diving but because i i like the reefs i like 10 meters i think that's good enough but i don't mm-hmm. know we'll see we'll see if i whenever i i hear about the bands and n- nitrogen narcosis, if i still want to do it but uh but uh but i'm really interesting to to actually take that step and um and yeah try to do that um this year hopefully so fantastic. for sure <laughs> and,
2: fantastic and um
1: yeah nope please go please go
2: Oh, I was just going to say. You know, two of my colleagues on that Antarctica trip surfed. That was one of their goals. Was that they've surfed really? oh, in every what? every yeah, they've surfed on every continent in the world, but they hadn't surfed in Antarctica yet. So they made two special designed surfboards, and you'll laugh at this because they were they were designed by a, a I guess an iconic designer. And what about designer. the waves there? Yeah, they they, they caught some waves. Yeah, okay. but uh, the cool thing is the the surfboards were designed and painted like orcas and okay. when the two surfboards came in like top and bottom they had the orca patterns on them and when the surfboards came in my my partner said to to the, the guy who who had organized the surfboards he said so how come mine's different than yours and he says, Well, if you look closely, your surfboard is a girl, and my surfboard is a boy. So, <laughs> <laughs> so if we meet a frisky orca, it's gonna go after you. <laughs>
1: <clears throat> oh my god, that's amazing. That's that's the biggest flex ever. I surfed yeah. in Antarctica. Yeah, oh my yeah. god, that is amazing. <laughs> wow, and um and yes, our question, which It's going to be a little bit different, but what is the thing that, uh, makes you the most proud about having been, uh, having done this expedition in Antarctica and having been the first person to ever cave dive inside a moving iceberg and the things that you took from that in advancing science and going back to Canada and showing your friends, the footage, the documentary that then came out. Why what was the thing that made you the most proud about all of that experience visiting Antarctica?
2: Well, I think, like, I'm proud that we ran a a, a safe mission, and <laughs> that everyone came home safely. But I think, like all of my work, like, if I'm going to take a risk, it has to be worth it. It has to deliver something maybe new for me, but hopefully new for humanity. And I hope that these adventures allow me to tell stories that bring people's attention to big global issues and and now you know sea level rise climate change is is in the forefront of everybody's mind and so i'm i'm mm-hmm. glad to contribute to that global knowledge
1: 100 oh, and um yeah. and once again from someone who was uh just a creative person a bachelor's in arts and now advancing science and making information more accessible for future generations for everybody
0: and for the world it's,
1: Incredible to being here to speak with you and you telling us okay. all about these amazing stories and expeditions and uh, yeah, these new discoveries in a oh, way. So, thank you so thanks. much. Yeah, we are very oh, lucky it's to, been... to have you as a guest right here, Joe. Thank you so oh, much.
2: Thanks, it's been great speaking with you.
1: Uh, likewise, hey. and hopefully, one day we get to meet and we get have to get together. That would be one of my dreams absolutely Even absolutely if in canada in the sweet waters in like five yeah. meter whatever it is still diving that would be amazing that would be amazing awesome <laughs>
0: amazing jill thank you so much for accepting the invitation once again and i see that you got two boots right there to do, do you want to do any any share for our listeners oh sure or yeah
2: or- I mean my 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 memoir my uh, yeah. my book Into the Planet My Life as a Cave Diver that's available on Amazon all around the world and it has quite a lot of uh, storytelling from that Antarctica project and nice. and then my children's book The Aquanaut is 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 very similar it's about uh, you know sort of embracing fear and your imagination to do things you never imagined you could do so you can get information about those at intotheplanet.com or buy them on Amazon
1: amazing amazing <laughs> amazing and i'm very happy that you did a children a children's book because some children may be absolutely terrified of swimming and once they see like the beauty and you know embracing fear and just yeah. trying out maybe they're like oh actually now Getting i'm just guts. going to try to go to the beach and not be yeah. scared of anything so for that, that i hope so <laughs> definitely <laughs> So, uh, to our guests, um, uh, li- listeners, ooh, listeners, thank you so much for reaching the end, and uh, be sure to follow us at Podcast WWP in on Instagram and Facebook, and also leave us a review. What did you think of this episode, guys? Spotify and Apple Podcasts, let us yeah. know if you go on this Antarctic expedition as well, <laughs> and leave us Anytime a comment on Spotify.
0: Likes. Now they got a new feature right there where you can, guys, just comment about the episode. Too. So feel free to. Just leave us a
1: comment about this episode. One hundred percent. And see you guys in our next episode. In see you guys week. Bye 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 bye.